0: The finale of the vow uh, now as as we get into the the finale of the vow i want you to know that hopefully this isn't the end of your marriage right like this this thing isn't the only thing that's keeping your marriage together um, i hope not um we will do more marriage series mostly around the month of february that's when a lot of churches do marriage series um because it's it's kind of that that time of year and uh the vow, we've talked about four promises or four vows. Um, this is the fourth one that we're going to talk about. I want to just do a quick review, um, and then we'll get into to the finale. The first one is, um, the first promise we talked about was, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second priority. So, like, we've always talked about how, um, like, oftentimes in life, we say, I'm looking for the one. Like before you're, you're, you get married, you'll, you'll talk about, I have to find the one. I have to find my soulmate. And I'm talking about finding your one. Well, we believe that, that God was designed to be our number one. He was designed to be first. And so once we find our spouse, it's not that we found the one, but that we found the two, right? And so um, we say that it, it was a message about priorities. And then The second week, we talked about um, how I will always pursue my two. I'm always going to pursue my wife. I'm always going to date her. I'm always going to love her. I'm always going to do everything I can to pursue her. And then week three, we talked about, which was just last week, we talked about how I promise that my marriage will be about we instead of me. It's going to be about us. It's going to be a partnership. Uh, My wife came up and talked about, about what submission looks like and and biblical submission. And it's not about dominance, guys. It's not about dominating your marriage, but it's about leading your marriage the way that God intends us to lead our marriage because dominating a marriage is a dictatorship and no one wants to live under a dictator. And so um, we talked about how the man has to lead the home, but that doesn't mean that they dominate the home. And then this week, we're gonna talk about I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. If you didn't get, um, so every week we offer uh, some notes. If you didn't get those notes on the way in, um, you can just raise your hand. We've got some people that would love to to give you uh, some notes, just you can raise your hand and look as awkward as possible by just leaving it there and everyone will turn and look at you and I'm just kidding. We're not going to do all that. We're just, but if you, leave, if you leave your hand, if you just keep, and if, if, you're, if it's up there for a little while and, you, and no one's coming, it's because they have to run and get the notes and then come back in. So, all right, she's got them now. So if you want to raise your hand, uh, it won't be much longer until she gets those for you. So, um, so the first blank is to confide. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. We're going to unpack that today. So, um, but before we do, let's 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 just pray because uh, I need it. God, I thank you so much for um, your greatness, your grace, your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that that this message that we're talking about doesn't just impact marriages, but it impacts lives. Lord, it doesn't matter if you're you're single or if you're um, if you're married, if you're divorced, or if uh, you're a widow. Lord, this message is for all of us because it's from your word and your word is for all of us. So God, I pray that as we open your word, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. And I, I ask in a miraculous way you would use me to do that. Since so Jesus' name I pray. So I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Today we are talking about purity. Purity. Now I realize that most of you are thinking, Adam, purity, isn't that something that you talk about when you're a hormone raging 17 year old boy? Yes, it is. But it's also one that you talk about when you're a 37 year old hormone raging boy. Right? Like, so we talk about it our entire lives because purity is something that we all must strive for. Let me explain it to you like this. How many of you, um, go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you plan on cheating on your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Anybody? How about any of you um, plan on becoming addicted to pornography? That's okay because statistics say that half of you are anyway. Ouch. Ouch. How about, how many of you plan on having an emotional affair on your spouse? No one? The fact of the matter is, is that no one ever plans on any of these things. No one ever plans on destruction, but destruction in our marriages especially happens every single day. That's why only 50% of them last. And so, no one plans on ever destroying their marriage. And so, then. Then why does it happen? Well, I think that it happens because we stop striving for purity. And hopefully today we'll talk about um, really what we can do to strive for for purity in our lives. It is difficult to build a life of righteousness. I'm going to drop a, a big Christian churchy word right there. Um, it's difficult... To build a life on righteousness based on a foundation of sin. It's hard to do right when all we ever do is do wrong. It's hard to strive for righteousness and build a life on righteousness based on a foundation of sin. The way that we live our lives today impacts all the areas of our lives, especially the area of marriage or dating. And, and I just want to get this, this out, out there. Um, when I'm talking about purity, this, this applies to those of you that are dating or have a desire to date. This, this, has a, this, like, like this isn't just a marriage talk. This is a talk about relationships with, with a significant other. When, when my wife and I, I, I was thinking about this actually this morning. This isn't something that I planned on saying. But when my wife and I first started dating, like on our first date, we went to this restaurant. I I almost acted like I was in the Midwest for a second, and not not in New England. And said we went to this restaurant called Bertucci's. Like none of you have ever heard of Bertucci's. If you've been in Boston, you've you've heard of Bertucci's. So we went to Bertucci's and um, sat down for um, for a fancy Italian meal, and um, we're sitting there and. I just spew like the most embarrassing thing that I've ever done on our first date. And it's funny because it was like in that moment, she was like, I know, I knew you were the one right then. Because I was like open about being embarrassed and about um, just a mistake that I had made. And I really don't think that she knew that I was the one then, but um, it sounded better for the story. So, but in that moment, I shared with her my heart because I knew that if I if I wanted to make progress with this beautiful girl, then I needed to be open and honest with her. I'm, again, I'm 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 different. I I don't think like most men, I guess. But purity is something that in your in your relationships and secrecy. Is something in your relationship, if it exists, it won't last. If all you do is hide things from your, the person that you're pursuing, then, then it, it won't last. In, in the Bible, of Genesis chapter two, verse twenty-four through twenty-five, it says, and, and this is the verse that we've been reading this this over the last four weeks. It says that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. That's the verse that we've been looking at. But today we're going to read verse 25. And it says this. It says, And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. If you have your Bible, feel free to underline the word shame there. If it's in your, it's in your notes, it's, it's already underlined for you. That word shame in the original Hebrew language is the word bush, which um, is fun to say. So, um... It's the word bush and it means to be ashamed or to be complete, to, to feel completely worthless. Shame is, a, is, is something that, and, and we're going to talk more about it in, in just a moment, but, but shame is, is, is something that we all feel when we do something that's wrong. Adam and Eve, now, now, now notice the verse. It says, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame they weren't embarrassed there there was no giggling there was no pointing or men there were no there was no flexing there was none of that they felt no shame because and they were naked and i know i've shared you shared this story with you before but Every time I think about about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and I think about the shame that and the absence of shame, I think about this story of 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 this kid that that was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor in in Illinois. Um, he had he had Down syndrome, and he was his name was Blake, and I I I absolutely loved Blake. He was like, he was my guy. And um, one year at junior high camp, junior high camp, ladies and gentlemen, if you 've ever been around a junior high person, a junior high kid, you know that there is absolutely zero maturity and a whole lot of shame in junior high and um, and so So Blake has Down syndrome and, and he goes into the shower um, one afternoon and he 's taking a shower. And after you take a shower, of course, you have to get dried off. Well, most of the boys in junior high, they're drying off in the shower. Not Blake. Blake's going out in front of his bed, and he's just drying off in front of everybody. And all the junior high boys are just kind of giggling just like junior high boys do, and they're laughing, and some of them are trying to point, and they're, like, looking at their friend, and they're, like, trying trying to put the hand up. Like, Blake doesn't see them pointing, or, like, more importantly, that I don't see them pointing. And, um, Blake's cousin, CJ was with me and, and, and CJ was, uh, um, he was a, a college kid and uh, CJ looked at me and goes, Adam, you know what that is? I said, what CJ? And he said, that's innocence. That's absence of shame. Like he didn't know that he should feel shame for being naked. He was just, he was just there. And everyone else in the room felt the shame except for him. And I think about the picture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, naked and feeling absolutely no shame. And I think of my friend Blake and how he felt absolutely no shame. So then what happened? Why did things change? Why why all of a sudden do we now feel shame? And so the story goes on in the Garden of Eden about how Satan um, tempts Eve with this fruit that God said, do not eat of this fruit. And so um, she eats the fruit and she talks her husband into eating the fruit. And Adam eats the fruit and instantly, as soon as they eat the fruit, they sew fig leaves together and they put them on because Adam said someone in the family has to wear the plants. And so he puts them on. That was a really bad preacher joke. Someone has to wear the plants to the family, right? So he they put on the plants and they're hiding because they feel no shame. And the Bible says that that God enters into the picture and he asks them, Where are you? I've heard a lot of atheists ask the question if well if God knows everything, why would he ask Adam and Eve where they were in the garden? those people weren't parents they'd never caught their their kids with their hands in the cookie jar and said do you have your hand in that cookie jar or they've never had their kids with oreos smeared all over their face did you eat those oreos or maybe my favorite the two-year-old hiding in the corner with red eyes watering are you making a dookie you know that he's pooping his pants. But you have to ask. And two minutes later, you know he poops his pants. Because we have that 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 parental instinct of knowing, right? But the desire of confession is always really a, a, an eye-opening thing. And so. What's funny about those instances is that in those moments, (laughs) what does the two-year-old in the corner making a dookie do? Uh Uh-uh. No, not me. Or your kid with his hand in the cookie jar. No, my hand's not in the cookie jar. You know his hand's in the cookie jar, and he knows his hand's in the cookie jar, but the answer is absolutely not. Or there's Oreos smeared all over his face. Did you eat those Oreos? No, I didn't eat those Oreos. Why? Because shame is, is in all of our lives from the moment that we're born. It's a part of the sinful nature. And shame is often what Satan uses to connect our action to identity. This is in your notes. Shame is Satan's tool for connecting the action to the the identity. Let me explain it. So, when we do bad, when we do things that are wrong, like, we, we do bad, I do bad, but I'm, I like to think I'm not a bad person. But what shame does, is shame now gives you the identity of being a bad person, and you start to think, well, because I did that, I must be. Does that make sense? And Satan uses shame to make us think that we're something that we're not. But when Jesus enters the picture, he erases all the shame. He allows sin to exist without shame, because He died for the sin, erasing our sin and our shame. And so God does this in our lives, in our our marriages as well. And here's what often happens in our marriages. If we have something that we struggle with in our marriage, we often feel like we have to hide it from our spouse. Because of the shame of what it is that we experience. Instead of telling the truth and being honest with our struggle with our spouse, we feel like we have to hide it because of our shame. There should be no such thing as secret battles in our marriages, ladies and gentlemen. You should not wrestle with bad things on your own. You should be able to go to your spouse and say, "Honey, you know what? I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Because there, ha, there cannot be any, any such thing as secret battles in our lives. And so, we're taught that if we want to be trusted, we have to fake it till we make it. Right? We have to hide it instead of being truthful and presenting." The truth of intimacy, there is intimacy in truth, ladies and gentlemen. And so this is also in your notes, secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. If you want to be intimate with your spouse, you want to be intimate with your boyfriend or girlfriend, get married and then tell her everything that you've done. (laughs) No, tell her everything you've done and see if she still wants to marry you. And then be intimate with each other. After marriage. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. This is why our vow for this week is that I will confide in you and not hide from you. I will confide in you and not hide from you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. We're going to camp out in Ephesians chapter 5 for a while here. And it says, for you were once in darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. I love that the song that we sang, I, we didn't even plan that out. The last song that we sang um, says, you are light in the darkness, right? I didn't, e- I, I didn't even plan that. I promise. Like I lie to you or something. I, can, I, I sense the judging eyes every once in a while. For you were once darkness, and now you are light in the, in the Lord. Live as children of light for the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How many of you know that it's a lot more fun to play hide and go seek in the dark than it is in the light? It's a lot easier to play hide and go seek with the lights out in the darkness. Now if you're if you have teenagers at home, do not let them play hide-and-go-seek with dark, with, with, with the lights out. That's just a parenting tip. But it's a lot more fun as a kid to play hide-and-go-seek in darkness than it is in light because it's a lot easier to hide in dark than it is with the lights on. What happens when we play hide-and-go-seek in the dark is that um, we we can we can get away with hiding like out in the open if it's really dark. But what happens is, is that hiding in darkness is, is, is comfortable, right? Hiding in darkness is comfortable, but the verse that we just read says that you were once darkness, but now because of Jesus, you are light, you are children of light, verse eight tells calls us. And then in verse 9, he says, For the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is good, what is righteous, what is true. Those are the things that are of Jesus. Those are the things that are of light. But verse, verse 10 um, goes, goes on and it says, And find out what pleases the Lord. So, So we're found in lightness. We're we're to to do what is good, what is right, what is true. And it tells us what, what, what God likes, right? Goodness, righteousness, truth. But it says, go on and continue to look for what pleases the Lord. In verse 11, I absolutely love verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Fruitless deeds of darkness. That just sounds awesome, but it's not at all. When I think of fruitless deeds of darkness, I think of my parents telling me when I was in high school, you know what, Adam, like my parents were, they were naive. And they said, Adam, you know, like, we're not going to give you a curfew. Um, My senior year of high school, um, we're not going to give you a curfew, but just know that nothing good happens after midnight, right? Nothing good happens after midnight and they're right like nothing good ever happens after midnight but um what happens is is that nothing good happens after midnight and so when it's midnight it's darkness nothing good happens in darkness nothing good happens when it's when it's dark out you know it's funny how, so, so last night my, my family and I went to, to the movies and it was it was nice because it was dark already when we went outside. And the reason I say it was nice is because, um, have you ever been to a, a matinee, a movie in the daytime? You go and you you sit there and, and you're watching the movie in, in darkness. It, the, the whole room is dark. And you walk outside and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, it's wicked bright. And... And like you're, you're blinded by, by lightness because what happens is our lights adjust to darkness. And, and it, and it's funny because, um, when I was, so when I was a youth pastor, um, at the last church that I was at, um, I would take about five or or 10 minutes of my day at times. And I would walk into an auditorium that was completely darkness, an auditorium that sat about 400 seats, 400 people could sit there and, Went in and told my my boss, hey, I'm going to be in the auditorium praying for a little while. And I'd walk in, not because I was super spiritual, but um, because I just needed to pray. And I'd go forward and I'd go up to the uh, the stairs where we would call the altar. And on our way in, I wouldn't, on my way in, I would not turn on, I would not turn on the lights. I would leave them off. And without fail, I would always bump into the first row of chairs. Because I couldn't see them, because I was coming in from light, and I was going into darkness, and I couldn't see. And then I would finally make my way to the front by feeling through the chairs. It was really kind of funny. And I'd get up there, and I'd, and I'd start to, 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 to bow and pray, and, uh, and, and my, I would close my eyes for the 10, 15 minutes. And what would often happen is um, I, would, I would then get up to walk out, and you know how many chairs I ran into on the way out? Zero. Absolutely zero chairs, because when I open my eyes, I could then see, because my eyes had adjusted to the darkness. And then when I went outside into the foyer and the lights were blazing, I was like, whoa. And what happens is, is our eyes often adjust to darkness. Here's the point. The point is, is that darkness can be comfortable. But that's not where you're designed to live, because we're designed to be children of light, to live in goodness, righteousness, and truth, and those things can often be uncomfortable. But to be like, it amazed me as I was as I was studying this that. Um, the things that happen in darkness, like like nothing good happens in darkness. Shame actually grows in darkness, but healing takes place in light. Let me say that again: shame happens in darkness, grows in darkness, but healing happens in light. There's actually this thing called um, called light therapy, or or photo uh, photo therapy. and you can actually look it up on on WebMD. Light therapy, also called phototherapy, is essentially using light to encourage healing. And it is used to heal depression. It is used to heal sleep disorders. And it is used to heal skin problems. Healing actually can take place in, in light. Light is greater than darkness. Have you ever been uh, in, 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 in a dark room and, and just found yourself just tired and like not feeling like doing anything? And it's, it's just because it's, it's comfortable. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, again, I said that we were gonna camp out there. Verse, verse three, it says this, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people not even a hint of sexual immorality not even a hint of darkness because God knows that darkness is comfortable for us and so he says to avoid it completely And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 28, says this. He says, have you heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery? But I tell you, if any one of you who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. You see, oftentimes in in our lives, we want to draw this line and say, how close can I get to the line, right? Without it being wrong. How close can I get to the line without crossing it? How close can I get to the line and still be okay without sinning? Well, I think a lot of us wouldn't really like Jesus' answer to that question when it comes to sexual immorality. Because he says, if you look at someone and have a desire to sleep with him, have a desire to see more of them, then you've already slept with them. You've already broken my Ten Commandments. He goes on in verse 29 and he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. I don't see any, any pirates in here today. or I don't see any eye patches today. Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I think what Jesus is saying, he's not saying literally gouge your eye out but what he's saying is take it very seriously the things that keep you from being like me take it very seriously the things that keep you from righteousness take it very seriously the darkness in your life whatever is 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 not good whatever is not righteous whatever is not true take those things seriously So serious that you would be willing to gouge your eye out if you do it. Not that you will. I do not want to see any pirates next week. The wisest man to ever live was a man by the name of King Solomon. He was King David's son, which we'll talk about King David in just a moment. But Solomon wrote a book to his to his kids um, called the Book of Proverbs. It's it's in the Bible. it comes right after the Book of Psalms, and in Proverbs chapter five, verse one through ten, it says, "My son, pay attention to my wisdom; turn your ear to my words." This whole this this whole chapter is a beautiful chapter about adultery, about sleeping with someone that's not your wife. He says, "Pay attention to my wisdom; turn from your ear to my words and in insight of insight, that you may maintain direction, and that." Your lips may preserve knowledge for the lips of adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. That sounds good. Her lips are like honey and her speech is smooth like oil. But then he goes on and he says, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double edged sword. Her feet go down to death. uh Oh, that doesn't sound so good. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near her, the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil and rich to the house of another. Solomon told his boys. Don't even go near that woman. Don't even flirt with her. Don't even think about it. When I think of this this passage and I think about that whole thought, I think of this this last week, our world lost a giant. We lost a giant of a man by the name of Billy Graham. And it's, it's really cool to me that this morning I can stand here and tell you a story about Billy Graham in this message today. I got goosebumps thinking about it. In 1948, Billy Graham was known for always traveling with another man. And he would send that man into his hotel room, and that man would go into his hotel room, and he would, look, he would first look under the bed, and then he would look in the closet. And it was said that Billy Graham would do that so that he would not find a naked woman under the bed and a photographer in the closet, because he always knew that he had to guard his image of purity. And it wasn't just his image of purity, but it was his purity himself. Itself. It wasn't about not trusting women. That's what I, that's what that's what the world would want us to believe. It wasn't about not trusting women. It was about his purity. It was about his relationship with Jesus. It was about making sure that he was seen in public as purity. In 1948, evangelists might as well have been used car salesmen. No one trusted them, and so. Billy Graham guarded that. And then, like, this article that I read this week said that he went as far as to when he was ni- 98 years old. He just passed away at the, at the age of 99. At 98 years old, he would actually pay for two nurses to be in the room. The problem was he had 24-hour care, in-home care. And he would pay for the extra nurse So that at 98 years old, he wouldn't look like he was impure. He wouldn't look like there was anything going on between him and the nurse. Ladies and gentlemen, guard your purity. Guard your marriage. At 98 years old, Ruth Graham had already passed away. She was long gone. It wasn't like he was doing it for his wife. He was doing it for his relationship with Jesus. My wife has 100% of my passwords, my phone, my computer, my Facebook, everywhere. She can check on me. I, I do my absolute very best to never meet in public with another woman that is not my wife or that is, that is married or single. It doesn't matter. I will not be alone with one woman in public. Because my marriage is important. Tanya deserves for me to guard my image, for me to guard my purity, for me to, to guard how I look when I'm with other people. And, how, and, 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 and the same is for her. She tries her best not to be seen in public with another man. Because our marriage is important. I'm not saying that that's for everyone in this room. I'm saying that guarding your marriage and guarding your purity is. But I'm not saying that that you being in public with someone else is something that you need to, to examine. Maybe it is. I don't know. Let, let the Holy Spirit deal with that. In the world that we live in, sex is everywhere. And really, I don't believe that this is new. Sex has always been everywhere. Satan has always used sex to distract us. King David was Solomon's dad. King David was known after, as a man after God's own heart. King David is known for slaying a giant by the name of Goliath. Oh, the light bulbs come on. I know that guy. But some of you, what you may not know about King David is King David was also known for failing sexually in a drastic way. One, one day, the Bible says, when men went to war, kings were known for going to war with their men and fighting the battles with them. King David goes up to his rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman naked bathing on her, on her roof. Her name was Bathsheba. She had a husband that was fighting the battle for David. He was one of David's key men. His name was Uriah. David sees Bathsheba, and I believe David knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that Bathsheba was home alone. He knew that she would be up there bathing, and he knew what he was going to go find. And he sees this beautiful woman, and as the king of Israel, he looks at her, and he says to his men, Go and get me that girl. Invite her to the king's palace. Come on, ladies. How many of you are going to turn down the king, right? And so Bathsheba comes and he sleeps with her. And he commits adultery. And he gets her pregnant. And so he calls for Uriah to come home. And Uriah comes home and he's like, Uriah, sleep with your wife, please. Like, go enjoy your wife. Uriah's like, King, my men are fighting in battle. I can't do that. And so King David tries to get Uriah drunk. And he goes home. This is in in the book of of 1 Samuel. You can read all about it. And Uriah gets drunk. and And he still doesn't go home to sleep with Bathsheba. David sinned so bad when it came to adultery. So he puts Uriah at the fiercest part of the battle and he kills him. So David, a man after God's own heart, commits adultery and murder, two of the 10 commandments. And later on, he wrote in Psalm chapter 119 verse 9 through 11. He tells us how we can stay pure. So The question today is how then, Adam, if if sex, if sex is everywhere, how can we stay pure? How can a young person stay pure on the path to purity, David writes? And then he answers his own question. By living according to your word. I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ladies and gentlemen, this book will keep you pure. Hiding God's word in your hearts will help you remain pure. We have to live this book. We have to meditate on this book. And we have to memorize this book. This book has to be our lives. Because God's word is our strength. God's word is the strength of our lives. It is the strength of your marriage. If your marriage isn't built on this book. Ladies and gentlemen. I I don't want to tell you that your marriage will fail. But it won't be as strong as it needs to be. It won't be as strong as God wants it to be. If you're in a relationship with someone and it's not marriage, you're not married, start with this book. Get a a head start on your marriage so that this book can help keep you pure. God's word washes our impurities, that's, that's how it helps us stay pure. And when we seek God with our hearts, our hearts are conformed to him. We change to be like him. But that's the problem, right? That's, that's what's scary is, is the change. Like, like all my friends in high school that, that I would tell about Jesus because I've always been this way. I would tell them about Jesus, they say, Adam, I, I, I just don't want to change. I've got partying I have to do. I want, I want to get things, like, I want, I want to, to party. I want to have fun. And I think that probably scares even some of us today. But seriously, when we embrace Jesus, and we, we have a taste. Of how good he is. I hope hope today. I hope that every worship experience that we have. Every time we gather to sing. I hope. That we do it. And you get a taste of Jesus. I hope that today you've tasted. How good he can be. And the the, the truth is. Is that. um, Once you taste how good he is. You forget all about. The old life. The Bible tells us that that when we come to Jesus, we we are a new creation. Old, Old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. And I realize that's scary. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus died so that we could taste purity. And when we taste purity, it tastes so good that we forget all about that adulterous woman with the lips that are sweet as honey. Because purity is sweeter. Always. And when we taste Jesus, it changes our lives. You see, Jesus died so that we could have purity, but it didn't stop there. Because if it stopped there, then we just have this this pure man, this perfect man, that, that lived this life. And... He was was so good. And he just died. And if that's where it stops. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in a man that, that lives a perfect life. And then goes to be beaten on a cross. But the hope is found in the resurrection. When Jesus comes back to life. He gives us the opportunity to taste purity. When he comes back to life. He conquers death so that you and I no longer have to die. The Bible says that the the price of sin is death. The price of your impurity, the price of your darkness, it's, it's, it's actually dying. But the Bible goes on and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life, which means no more dying the eternal life that is offered through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Jesus died and that he rose again to share that with us. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this is a marriage series, but this isn't about marriage. This is about you and God. This is about you being seen as righteous. When God created us, he created us knowing that we were going to fail. Knowing that we would do wrong. But he created us with a desire to have a relationship with us. And he knew that once we would fail, that he would be able to prove his love for us. And that once he proved his love for us, then it would become our choice to choose to follow him. You see, God didn't create us to be robots, to just have a relationship with him. He created us with love, giving us a choice to follow Jesus. You see, in your marriage, if you force your wife to love you or your husband to love you then that's not love. If you say love me or else. That's not that's not love. But it's when your husband or your wife chooses to love you that that love is pure. See God wants you to choose him today. He's done everything To get rid of the roadblocks, to get rid of the block between you and God. He's done everything to erase it. You see, because we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we can't have a relationship with him. It's impossible. But now, because of Jesus, because of the death that he paid and the resurrection that he that he experienced, that he that he came back to life. We now can have a relationship with our Father, who is God. So I haven't gotten up here to talk to you for about 30 or 40 minutes just to ramble. Even though at times it probably seemed like that, because it seemed like that to me. But I got up here to talk to you, to tell you about God's love, so that you would hopefully think about God's love for you. And that's this moment, the moment of reflection. So sometimes for me, when I reflect on my life, it's easiest for me to just close my eyes. Would you do that for me? Would you just close your eyes where you're at? As we, re- we reflect on God's love for us and how purity and darkness and light and all of that Has to do with our lives And as you sit there And you reflect I want to talk about This choice This choice that you have In following Jesus That's why we're here We're here to give you that choice And I'm here to make that choice As easy as possible If you would like to follow Jesus today, I know that some of you may have questions. That's okay. We have people at, at the stairs that will be up here to answer your questions. I'll be in the back as you leave. You can ask me all the questions you want. If you want to follow Jesus today, would you just do me a favor? Would you just, so that I can know, you just slip your hand right up and say, Adam, this This is really, like, this is speaking to me right now, and I I need to follow Jesus. Would anybody like that? Thank you. Anybody else? Keep it. Put it up there and keep it there. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. If you raise your hand, the Bible says that by believing in your heart, Jesus, is Lord and by confessing in your mouth that he died and rose again you're saved so this is what I want to ask you to do if you raise your hand this morning I just want you to right there where you're at to pray this prayer with me say God I know I've done wrong I know I'm impure and I know that I, because of my impurity that I need you I need what Jesus did for me on the cross come into my life and save me change me make me new and help me to follow you thank you for your love in Jesus name I pray amen if you said that prayer that same card that we held up just a few minutes ago—it has a section on the back. Um, just mark that and take it to the guest central. I'm going to ask you just to reflect one more time. Just close your eyes as we as we stay in this moment of reflection, because I I realize this is a this this can be a deep and heavy message, a message of purity, and I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand and to confess that you struggle with purity. You know why? Because I know you do. I know you do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for all of us that God would help us to protect our marriages, to protect our relationships, and to protect our purity. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for him dying on the cross for our sins I thank you for the way that he gives us the way that he paves for us to follow you for us to be your children that we can be called children of God Father I pray that you would protect these people this week of the impurities that are all around us Lord that you would help us to follow light and not darkness Lord, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, and that we would live according to your word, that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we might not sin against God. Father, I pray for the protection of your people this week. In in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would Would you give God a hand today as you stand, as you stand with us? Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Do me a favor. Sing this song. And you'll be dismissed.